friends, and welcome to the Wisdom for Life broadcast. This is Pastor Glenn with another episode that we hope will bless you. Ryan for playing that song that's one of my favorite songs now it's probably been on my my heart for weeks you know you can have this old world but give me Jesus come on yeah hey would you turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 8 verse 22 and we're going to talk about how sometimes we miss miracles because we're not uh we're not looking to believe before we see how many of you know that believing is seeing it, it's not seen as believing. That's what the world will tell you. The world will tell you, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. But God says, I want you to believe it and then you'll see it. In other words, if you'll begin to trust me and believe the promises of my word now, you'll begin to manifest in your life by faith the things that I've promised that are yours. But if you're not willing to believe it, come on. And we're going to talk about a very peculiar miracle that Jesus did. He healed a man from the town of Bethsaida. Now, I've been to Bethsaida, and I can tell you there's not a lot there now. It's just kind of a grassy field, and it's up on the side of a hill. Bethsaida means fish town. It means town of fish. Fishing was their, their main uh, way of uh, supporting and providing for their families. That was the main corporation in that town. Jesus did 90% of his miracles in Bethsaida, Corazon at Capernaum. This is called the evangelistic triangle. If you were to go to Israel today, you will see that these three towns are located right on the Sea of Galilee within three mile radius. And so you might come across people from Corazon, people from Capernaum, people from Bethsaida, and they're probably your uncles and your second cousins and your aunts because it was such a small area. And in this area, Jesus did most of his miracles. But unfortunately, even though they saw, they still did not believe. All three of these towns, actually, Jesus says, because of your lack of faith, you've cursed yourselves. He even says later in the Gospels that if Tyre and Sidon and if Sodom had seen the miracles, even some of the miracles that they had seen that they would have believed and yet most of the miracles that jesus did was in their midst and they would not believe now that'll help you with the argument today that some people would say well if god just did if he ripped open the sky right now and he did he spoke from the heavens i would believe let me tell you this god is doing miracles every single day and you're not believing just because you're not perceiving them See, perception is, is a little bit different than reception. Reception is the physical ability to be able to see something. Perception is to be able to see something and understand what it is you're seeing. How many of you, when you're kids, you know, when they, they come back to you and you say, hey, were you listening to me? And you realize that they may have been hearing, but they weren't listening. How many of you know that miracles are happening and just because we don't necessarily perceive them doesn't mean that they're not happening. And in the midst of these people, they seen more miracles than anybody and still re refused to believe and to perceive correctly. 
Look at this in verse 22, uh, chapter 8, it says, They came to Bethsaida, this is Jesus and the disciples. In fact, three of them were, were from this town. And some brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. This is very important. This is coming to a, a head here. This is coming to a head. God is doing something powerful, but he has to do it in a different place. Can I just tell you, your atmosphere that you keep is important. Listen, listen, you'll never soar like eagles if you're hanging out with turkeys. Now, come on. You, you, listen, if, if you want to do and see great things and have those great things happen in your life and you're surrounded by chickens, listen, it's not going to be faith. It's going to be fear. Your atmosphere is important. I don't want you to see that this man is from this place, but in order to get this man his miracle and his healing, he had to be outside of this place, okay? Watch this. It says, he led him outside the village, and when he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then, the, then his eyes were opened, and his sight was restored. And he saw everything, watch this, clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't go into the village. In other words, I want you to go home, but don't go back to the village. Hello? You see, that village was bad atmosphere. That village could not receive and believe Jesus. And that kind of atmosphere would have caused him to begin to live the way that everybody else was living. So Jesus was saying, listen, I had to get you out of there in order to bless you. <laughs> oh my. Can I just tell you tonight, this is so important for you to see great things happen in your life. What you determine to walk away from determines where God can bring you to. If you're not willing to walk away, watch this, watch this. If, uh, let, let me give you some examples here. If Abraham or Abram at the time did not walk away from Ur in Chaldea, he would have never become Abraham, the father of many nations in the promised land. He had to walk away from someplace. In other, word, in other words, something in your life that is a place needs to be put in your past. Something in your present must be placed in your past so that you can get on to the future that God has for you. And if you're so consumed with what's going on in your present, here's the deal. You're not going to see the future promises of God in your life because God moves you out of things. How many of you know that uh, you're still not living in your mama's womb? Right? I hope not. Some people kind of act that way like in their maturity. Hello, right? But you, you, you had nine months there and then it was time to move on. How many of you know that you, someday you moved out of your home? Come on. Yep. Hello. And there was a day where you moved on. How many of you know some days, someday you, you, uh, you married somebody, you started a home, your kids came into that home. Then you got like Fred Flintstone, you got thrown out of your home again. Come on. Because the kids took over. Right? Right? And then the kids reach a certain age and then they leave. And then they go and have a home. And then after a while, you begin to realize that this body isn't what it used to be. And you recognize that you're going home. Life is all a story of going home and moving on. And you don't get to stay in one place and get the same or a better blessing from God. So this is what Jesus wants to do in this man's life. But I want to show you four areas that are weird. Say weird just weird stuff but pray with me father god in the name of jesus thank you for this man 
from Bethsaida. Thank you, God, for the man from Fishtown that couldn't see, that was blind, that had to leave where he was on a word. Thank you that, God, you healed him someplace else in order for him to see the miracle, God. You took him out of his environment. And God, thank you for the way that you did it so that, God, we could perceive that methods aren't important. The message is. God, we thank you, God, for the powerful things you're going to do in the lives of your people that are in this room and are watching tonight. Wonderful miracles are occurring in their life. And thank you that, God, by faith we can perceive them. We give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to give those four things to you, and then I'm going to break them down. The first one is this. He takes him out of the town to heal him. Why not heal him right then and there? Why not heal him where everybody could see it? Why take him out of the village and out of the town in order to heal him? Number two, Jesus then spits in the man's eye. I want you to see this. Now, this happens two other times in Scripture where Jesus heals someone with saliva. Uh, one other time, he takes some dirt, he spits in his hand, he swirls the dirt around and puts mud in a man's eye. Another time, he spits on his finger and puts it in a man's ear. Now, they call it something else today when you get one of those in the ear, okay? And that's terrible. That's, don't ever do that to me. It's fighting, fighting actions, okay? But anyway, another time he does that, and a man receives his hearing. If, a, if, a, in a, if an evangelist healed people that way today... I don't think that the altars would be packed for very long. If a pastor went around spitting on people, I'm not sure that that would be a very kosher thing to do. But Jesus spit on this man's eyes. He spit into his eye. I want you to see it wasn't, and then here it was, come here, come here. Right into the eye. If you think about that, that's kind of odd. You say, Pastor, that's weird. And you know what? You'd be right. Here's the third thing. After he's healed, he tells the man, watch this, he tells the man, don't return to the village. Don't go back. It's okay for you to go home and touch base, visit people but at your home, but don't go back to the village. That's not going to be your place anymore. Wow. That's interesting, isn't it? What was back there that wasn't going to be for him in his future? Well, think about it. His entire life up to that point has, had been defined through his blindness. That wasn't going to work anymore. Can God change your life? And I want, you, I want you to see that if God were to do the miracle you're praying for, and you were to come off welfare, hello, if God were to do the miracle you're praying for, you might have to go back to work. I don't, I church, church, I can't tell you how many times... I prayed with someone and said, now, if God's going to heal you, understand this. You may go get a job. Well, I don't want that. Well, but you can't go back. It's the same thing with the man that had been lame since birth who laid on a mat. If you remember, it was at Solomon's colonnade. And Jesus said, pick up your mat and walk. He didn't just say walk. He said, you're not going to need this place anymore. And you're not going to need that mat anymore. You're not coming back here. You see, you've got to be willing to give up that place for the promise that God has for you in your future. And then the fourth curiosity is this. He lays hands on him twice. Well, actually, he lays hands on him once. He spits in his eye the other time. 
Couldn't Jesus pull it off the first time? What is going on in, in his life? In fact, I want you to see that this oddity in Scripture, this is the only time where Jesus does two things in a row in order for someone to get healed. Did he do two things for one healing? Or were there two things and two healings? And I want to show you what that is, okay? So hang on for me here, all right? So let's deal with the first one here tonight, church. Why leave town to be healed and then told never to go back? This is the same town, Bethsaida, that Jesus told his disciples that if you were to come into a town and you were to begin to preach to them and share the gospel with them and they don't receive you, shake the dust off your feet. This is the same town that Jesus said, if they don't respond in the towns I'm sending you to, like this town, right? Then you can stay there. But if they respond the same way that this town responds and they don't believe, get that dust off your feet. Get moving. Hallelujah. I want to tell you in Luke chapter 10, verse 12, Jesus says this. I tell you that on that day, the day of judgment, it'd be more tolerable for Sodom then Bethsaida, woe to you, Corazon, woe to you, Bethsaida, for the deeds of power done in you, if they had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. Imagine a day at the day of judgment where everyone's going to walk through and meet the judgment of Christ one by one. And imagine people from the town of Sidon. Imagine people from the town of Sodom and Tyre. And they're going, you had Jesus himself? You had Jesus himself produce miracles in your midst and you wouldn't believe? We didn't have that. For Sodom, the best we ever had was Lot and he didn't do a lot. He kind of blew it. That's the best. We didn't have the scriptures. We didn't have the Old Testament. We didn't have the Messiah. We would have repented if we would have seen just one of those things. Imagine that day. And Jesus says, it's going to be better for those guys than it is for you because you did see the miracles. You did see the power of God. They were a place famous for miracles, but did not. They were not moved by faith. This is the same town where Jesus took a boy's lunch and fed 5,000 people. This is the same town where Jesus, sending the disciples out on a boat, he comes from the other direction and he's walking on water. The, 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 I mean, we're talking the chunkiest, the meatiest, the thickest miracles that Jesus ever did was right there. And yet this town is told by Jesus, you're worse than Sodom because you won't believe. Wow. Something has to change within us. We have to move beyond just being a spectator to truly surrendering. We want to be fed by God without really following God anywhere. We want the healing of God, but we don't want the holiness. You see, God, add to my life what it is I'm missing, but I don't want to walk away from the way I'm living. Give me Jesus, but also give me Bethsaida. Let me stay here where I'm at. I'm comfortable here. This is my comfort zone. I like it just the way it is. Don't, pastor, don't ever ask me to go to the mission field. And please, pastor, never ask me to do anything other than come in and hear you preach. That's bad enough. (laughs) The atmosphere of faith 
is outside of your comfort zone. Where's your comfort zone today? Let me ask you, if you're going to guard your heart because it's the wellspring of life, then let me ask you, what kind of atmosphere is watching the news all day long doing for you? What kind of, I don't care what broadcast it is. I'm not interested in that. I'm asking you, what kind of atmosphere is it created in you? If it's causing you to serve Jesus and love on Jesus, go right ahead. But if you're watching that all day long and you're not Faith isn't rising up within you and you're not saying, I'm ready to do something for the Lord. That's the wrong atmosphere. That's Bethsaida. Hello? What kind of atmosphere is scrolling on your phone all day long? You're looking at something else that made you mad. Oh, I can't believe they're doing that there. Oh, and they're doing this. and Oh, oh, look at this. What kind of atmosphere is that creating? Is it an atmosphere of faith or is it a fear? Why not get up, go out, Give yourself and faith to some place and some person by the power of God. You see, Jesus was there, but he wouldn't heal there. He healed the guy outside of Bethsaida because the atmosphere was wrong. If you remember, he raised a little girl from the dead the same way, but he did it in reverse. He said, all of you non-believers, get out of here. Then he said, little girl, rise up. Think about this. Your atmosphere is important. The atmosphere you keep is important to you perceiving and receiving miracles from God. And God wants you to be very, very, very aware of your atmosphere. Number two, the significance of spit. Let's talk about spit. You know, we, we, just, we just had no idea that spit would ever be this theologically important. Right? Right? But it is. It is. Uh, to spit on someone during that time was a curse. It was to be cursed. It was unclean. It was not right. You see, God knew some things about biology long before we discovered them. That that's a way that a lot of disease can be passed. But is there any disease in the great high priest? No. I want to tell you. What we, would, what we would think is the lowest thing from Jesus is the cleanest thing, is the most righteous thing. Was Jesus spitting on the man or was he spitting on blindness? Come on, somebody. Was Jesus, was Jesus cursing the man or was he cursing his blindness? And in this moment, Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to heal you, but I'm going to do it in a way that's so weird, that's so odd, that you'll never worship the method, but you will certainly get the message. And that's why he did it the way he did. Now, it's interesting, and you can find this in the Jewish Talmud. Here's some extra biblical books. They've got their own expositories of the Old Testament just like we've got expositories today of the New and Old Testament. And during that time, if there was a contesting of who was the firstborn in a family after the father had died so that they could have the inheritance and be able to designate who actually was the firstborn, in the Jewish Talmud of that time, they would go and see if spit would heal. Now you say, Pastor, I'm going to need a little bit of background on that. I'll give you the background on it, but I've got the book in my office. They would see which person's spit would heal. In other words, we're going to take the lowest form of something from your body, and we're going to see which one's blessed. Right? 
Because we know the blessing comes on the firstborn. Jesus was the firstborn from the dead. Come on, church. Right? He is the, he is the firstborn of all creation. He is saying to all creation, I'm the blessed one. And look at how I'm going to bless you. By the way, that book, if you're interested, is Every Man's Talmud, and it comes from page 253. So in case you think I'm making it up, there it is. Every Man's Talmud. I want you to see this for a second. What kind of testimony would you have if you went around telling people, I was blind and now I see, and people said, oh, really? I want some of that. How, can I get some of that too? What do I need to do? And what if you come back with, well, you need to find that guy and have him spit on you. Right? Is, is that what healed him? No, his faith made him whole. Right? But did Jesus use something odd so that we would be moved by faith rather than into the message, rather than into the method? And oh, don't we worship methods today. Don't we think that Jesus needs to move the way that we think he should move? What if God does something that you least expect and that's exactly where he's going to produce this next miracle? Or haven't you read Romans 8, 28, where it says that God works all things together for good, even spit for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. How do we flesh this out on Monday into our everyday lives? Let me tell you. You might want to spit at your job. You might want to spit with your boss. You might want to spit because of things that have happened in your life. But those things might be the very areas where the next miracle is coming. And before you go and spit on it, Potsy, maybe you ought to look for where God is actually bringing a blessing and not a curse. <laughs> Here's the next one. Seeing people like trees. So many of us have a vision of what we think the next move and miracle of God should look like. But when it comes to us and we begin to move in it, we don't have the perception to line up with our reception. We have the scientific studies today. They didn't have it back in that day. But when people are born blind and they see for the first time, their brains are not ready for what their eyes begin to show them. There is a healing that needs to occur in their eyes. And then there's a healing that needs to occur in their brains. I'm going to help you out with something right now. What you are seeing right now is partially made up in your brain. Your brain cannot perceive as fast as life is actually happening. It can't. So what your brain does is fill in the gaps. This is why you and I all have what's called a perceptual bias. We, we don't think we have them. We all think we see reality just as it is. Can I tell you only God sees reality just as it is? Let me compare you and I to a snail for a moment and then get back to how slow our brains actually do perceive sight. A snail's perception in sight is so slow that if you were to walk in front of a snail and drop a penny in front of it, it will think that the penny came out of nowhere. It will think that you popped out of nowhere because it cannot perceive in its brain fast enough 
what it sees. If you were to pick a snail up off the ground and move it in just a second to another place, that snail would have thought that it disappeared and reappeared in another place, not knowing and having the perceptual time to know that it was actually picked up and it was actually moved. Do you know just how fast your God is moving in your midst? You don't. Just because your eyes aren't picking up everything he's doing doesn't mean he's not doing anything. Your perception is slow. (laughs) Let me put it to you another way. Here's what our brains will do. Do you realize that when you look at a television screen, that that's just a bunch of flashes? You can kind of see the, the flashes if you put a camera at it and see your television screen through that camera. You'll see it refresh and it's called a refresh rate well your brain has a and your eyes have a refresh rate and right up to 1280 you could almost see that but past that you can't past that you can't you what you think you're seeing is pictures and people moving but what you don't realize is it's an illusion it's just like a notebook with little characters drawn on it and the little stick figure moves like this and you just pull it back like this and you think the stick figure's moving because there's a picture and a picture and a picture, it's an illusion of your brain. Let me go a little bit farther, and I hope you're starting to get a little uncomfortable because up till now, you've trusted your sight a whole lot. For how many thousands of years have we said, oh, what a beautiful sunrise and a beautiful sunset? That's not true. The sun doesn't rise. The sun doesn't set. The earth is turning. (laughs) Well, pastor, you're just, you're splitting hairs now. You're just splitting hairs. Think about these things. Think about how you perceive things. Do you know that your eyes actually see things upside down? By the time it gets to your brain, it flips it right side up, right? And in the midst of flipping it right side up, it can't catch everything in time so it fills in the little spots in the little gaps with what it thinks it it makes guesses real quick guesses do you know why because if you did you and i would get in car crashes now it works pretty well and i'll show you how it works pretty well it works pretty well because it's based off of everything you've experienced so far the problem with that though is new things as they're shown to you aren't readily perceived if there's no past experience There was no past experience of people being healed of blindness like this. If you go into your Old Testament, we don't have a prophet that healed people of blindness like this. They had never seen a prophet like this before. Were they ready to not only receive, but perceive that this is Jesus? No, they crucified him rather than worshiped him. You see, they had no past experience to fill in the gaps Their brains weren't ready. Their minds weren't ready. This is why the scripture says over and over again, open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. Jesus is here right now. His power is here right now. Miracles are happening every day. But are you aware? Can you see them? I'm going to talk about that in just a moment and how you can increase that awareness, okay? He sees people like trees. Here's the reason why. Because blind people don't have a past experience in their brain with seeing what they see. 
You see, they've, they've actually done surgeries on blind people today, and when they get their sight for the first time, they are horrified to see that people have these long black things that are dragging along behind them called shadows. They have no past experience. There's no past experience to fill in the gaps. They walk up to a staircase, and what is this two-dimensional ladder going up into the sky? It's not a ladder, it's a staircase. What are these things that I'm experiencing? This man needed another healing. It wasn't just a healing of his eyes. He needed a healing of his mind. And where is the church today? The church believes in healing. The church knows that it will see healing. But the church does not perceive it in its mind anymore. The church has lost healing in its heart. It doesn't know what it would look like if it actually came. And the man needed to be touched again. So Jesus laid hands on him to heal his mind. Do you know what the toughest thing in the world for some Christians to do is to believe that things will ever be any different than they are right now? Because everything's based on past perception. That's what we call perceptual bias. You know what perceptual bias is, right? When you go out and buy a new car, and then suddenly you drive around town, and everybody's driving that car. Did everybody go out and buy a car the same time you did? Is there some kind of conspiracy that said, hey, pastor went out and bought a car. Let's all buy the same car Glenn drives. No, I just suddenly see it where I didn't see it before. I see people as trees. Jesus says, come here, I got to heal your mind. Because you need a healing on the inside, not just on the outside. Come on. <laughs> Ephesians 1.18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you might know the hope to which he has called you, the richness of his glorious inheritance and his holy people. This is what Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. I don't see it yet, but I already perceive it in my heart. Because God is healing my reception and my perception. I want to close with a couple of ways that you can increase if you will, you can increase your awareness, all right? Because unfortunately, most of us are just like the snail. And God is doing things much faster than our snail minds and hearts can perceive it. You want to increase the passion in your life. Passion for God translates to perception. Very, very, very quickly, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be satisfied. doesn't say the whole world will be satisfied. doesn't say this isn't. Please, back away from the gospel of inclusivity. The gospel is not inclusive. It's exclusive. Are you hearing me? That is a very powerful statement I just said. The gospel is exclusive to those who will receive it and believe it. If you don't receive it and believe it, you don't get it. Hello? And it's about to get real exclusive. Here it is. Jesus says, if you're not hungry for me and you're not hungry for righteousness, you're not going to have it. My favorite dish in the world, chicken marsala. Anybody ever had that? It'd change your life. It's so good. It's my favorite dish. It's got pasta. It's got chicken. It's got a little marsala sauce. It's got mushrooms in there. You know, get you a little bit of Olive Garden, you know, salad with that and a couple of breadsticks and i'm i'm telling you what i'm having uh, i'm t- i'm having a, a a revival it's awesome 
But if I'm full, I'll walk, I'll walk right past the plate of it. If I'm full of something else, I won't even have an appetite for it. If I'm in an atmosphere that has filled me with something else, doubt, fear, anxiety, worry, if I've pumped myself full of everything the world has said all day long, and then I come to church, and it's like, Pastor, you're not even moving me tonight. I can tell you why you're not moved. Because you're not hungry. You're not hungry because you're filled with something else. And let me tell you something, church. If we're going to talk about donuts, if we're going to talk about donuts and filled donuts, I want a filled donut. But I want a cream-filled donut. I want his filling. I want to be filled with his spirit. And sometimes you got to be emptied. You got to be emptied. That's how you can have an appetite for the good things of God and see the good things of God. Let me go farther. Passion and perception, number two. Proverbs chapter 25, verse two, it says this. It is the glory of God to watch this, to tell the whole world about a matter. It's the glory of God to tell everyone about a matter. No, that's not what it says. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. God hides things. I don't know what gospel you've heard, but I'm telling you the truth. God doesn't let everybody know everything. Are you hearing me? It's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of kings and priests to search out a matter. If you ain't searching, you're never going to know it. You're never going to know it if you're not searching. God says, if you're coming hard after me, you're going to have it. If you're not coming hard after me, listen, it ain't yours. It ain't yours. So my oldest daughter, Caitlin, uh, ever since she was little, and this would creep me out, man. We'd go on nature walks. We'd, you know, a little family vacation. And Caitlin loved animals. She loved uh, everything, everything alive, everything alive. Okay. And we'd get out in the woods and stuff. And, and I mean, it would never fail. My wife would start screaming. My son would start screaming. My other daughter would start screaming. Then I'd be screaming. And Caitlin would be coming. And over here, she'd have a snake coiled up all over, you know. Look at this guy. Isn't this cute? And over this would be this big old fat, nasty bug, right? And isn't these th- aren't these things wonderful? And I'm like, we just walked there. I didn't see that at all. I did, you know, big tough dad supposed to protect everybody. I didn't see the snake. I didn't see the big nasty bug. But my daughter... She had an awareness. She had a passion for something, and because of her passion, she was able to perceive something I could not see. And if you're passionate about the things of God, truly passionate, not just God, get me out of trouble, but God, move me beyond seeing your power and into your presence. I'm passionate for you. You're going to see all kinds of miracles happen. You're going to discover things that are crawling and and, and things that are up in trees and hiding in plain sight. You know, kind of like... uh, the papers I passed out tonight. Kind of like when you went to the doctor's office and you picked up, picked up that book and you opened it up and you begin to look through it and you begin to find the little hidden pictures in there. And it took your mind off the fact that, you know what, a shot was coming. And you begin to pick out those pictures. And you begin to circle them. And now you're seeing things that were always there. Here's the last one. Passion and perception. Revelation 2.17. He who has, come on church, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now if you've gone out to eat with me, and I've gone out to eat with you, some of you are just like this. I can do things with Ron, and the thing with Ron is movies. I can talk with Ron about movies that are three times my age, you know, at least twice my age. 
And Ron would be like, yep, I'll tell you who the main actor is, and I'll tell you what year that came out, everything. Ron knows it, and it's awesome. We go back and forth. We took that last 50-plus trip all the way uh, to Amish land, and for three hours on the way there and three hours on the way back, didn't we, Ron? It was awesome. Yeah, and we got John in on the action there a little bit, too, your husband, John. And we, for six hours, we talked about this stuff. Everybody else is like, who cares? I don't care. But we did. But if I go out to eat with you and there's music playing, by the time we leave, I'll tell you every band. I will tell you what year that song came out. I'll tell you who the people are in that band. And I'll still have a conversation with you. I will give you my complete attention. But I will not miss every song that's played. Because that's my superpower. It just is. And people are annoyed by it. People have told me before, why didn't you become a radio broadcaster? You got a voice, you should have went in. No, I'm preaching for the Lord. But let me tell you something. You get me around music, and I know every single band. I know, when it, I know who was playing drums, who was singing. I know why they fired the singer, what the singer did that he shouldn't have done. I know all this stuff. Let he that has an ear, let him hear. You know, and somebody can be right there with me and say, I haven't heard anything at all. I didn't know there was anything even playing. Well, you've got to ask God for a passion for his... I'm not talking about music. I'm talking about a passion for his promises, a passion for his presence, a passion for the things that he does. And if you ask him, you'll receive. You'll receive. Humility is the greatest start. It's the greatest, greatest awareness and passion driver. In Matthew eleven twenty five. 25... At this time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go slow because you probably never heard this before. I thank you, Father, <laughs> Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden. Can you just say that word with me, please? Hidden. Okay. That you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent, but have revealed them to babes or children. See, somebody that's, all wrapped up in their own prideful knowledge, all wrapped up in themselves, all wrapped up in telling themselves that they've got it, that they're, they're good, that they've, they've arrived. God says, you know what, Father? I want to thank you. They'll never find it. Did you know that Jesus thanked the Father for people that are prideful, never finding the truth? You didn't know that. Let me give you the verse. Say, Glenn, I... I just think that that's a little bit mean. Matthew eleven twenty five, 25, please. God said, Father, I thank you that you hid the truth from prideful people. Oh, I thought it was for everybody, not for prideful people. Well, well, well. That kind of knocks our flannel graph Jesus down a bit, isn't it? You know, I thought he was the cute little Jesus with the cute little lamb that loves everybody. Well, certainly he does. But if you're going to come to him with that pride, you're going to be blind to him. You're never going to perceive or see him, nor the truth that he really has. Is it okay to have one more verse? Okay. Matthew 13, 10. The disciples came to Jesus. Why do you speak to those people in parables? Jesus answered him, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. Did you hear that? For whoever has, to him more will be given. And he'll have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Now that sounds mean. 
But Jesus is saying, if you'll start with a desire to know me, if you'll start looking for me, you'll find me. If you start hungering for me, you'll be filled. If you'll start desiring to see me move, you will see me move. But if you don't want any of that, you're not going to see any of it. And you're going to walk through this earth and, say, and deny that God exists. And you're going to be an atheist and you're going to be a proud, angry atheist. And you're going to tell the whole world there's no evidence of God. When you can walk out in your backyard and see all the birds and you can see your little dog run by you. You can see the sun up in the sky and it all creation says there is a God. You'll be blind to it all. Because you didn't come to him with a hungry heart and a, hum, a, a heart of humility and a desire to see him and, and, and to know him. Let's stand in prayer tonight. Father, may we not be the people or the church that does not look for miracles. Because if we're not looking for them, we won't find them. Come on, church, pray with me. If we're not looking to see your power, we won't see it. If we're not desiring to see you move, we won't see it. It doesn't mean you're not moving. It just means we won't see it. God, if we're not desiring and hungering to know you and come close to you and be like you, we won't. The only things that we'll be able to perceive in this world of you will be God coming from our own heart. So start with our heart, God. Change us, God, from the inside out. Give us an awareness of you. Give us a sensitivity to the Spirit, to your power. Is that your prayer tonight? Maybe you're, maybe you're praying for something, believing God for something, and yet what's coming out of your mouth is exactly the opposite. You won't see. You won't see what you've already told yourself won't happen. Father, I thank you that believing is seeing. That God, if I believe in my heart and I'll trust your word, even though like that man, I haven't seen yet, I can't see, but you're telling me with your word into my ear, come, come with me out of the city. Come with me out of this place. Come over here. And you use a method that I'm uncomfortable with, but that's okay too. Because God, the results, I may not fully understand. I may see people walking as trees, but God, the results are, once you touch my mind, I can see and I have vision of the miracles of a mighty God. And for that, we give you praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said, come on, amen, amen. amen. God bless you. Be a blessing this week.